Welcome to Experts Only Podcasts, sponsored by Clean Capital. You can learn more at cleancapital.com. I'm your host, John Powers. Each week, we explore the intersection of energy, innovation, and finance with leaders across the industry. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to Clean Capital's Experts Only Podcast. I'm Tom Byrne, guest hosting again this week for John Powers, and I'm joined by our Clean Capital colleague, Zoe Berkery. Zoe and I speak with Aaron Robert, head of capital strategies at J.P. Morgan Chase Sustainable Finance. We cover a number of topics, including green bonds, corporate sustainability, and J.P. Morgan's efforts to transform into a clean energy advisor and financier. She's a great guest with tons of insights. We're sure you will enjoy. Aaron Robert, Head of Capital Strategies at J.P. Morgan Sustainable Finance. Thank you for joining us on Clean Capital's Experts Only Podcast. Thanks for having me. It's really exciting to have you. Typically, what we like to do is just start with a little background on where you came from, what you've been doing for uh, your career, and how you ended up in the clean energy space. So maybe starting off with that. Beautiful. Well, maybe I'll start with I'll start with my college experience. So I was actually a political science major and a huge American government government nerd, for lack of a better way to describe it. So um, in college, I actually did um, went to Holy Cross in Worcester, Massachusetts, and I did a semester in Washington D.C. and I interned at the White House and worked worked on Social Security reform in the, in the Bush administration. Fascinating experience <laughs> and. You know, just just what a privilege to walk into that building every day. And I you know, came away from that experience thinking, this is like fire and belly moment. This is what I want to do with my life. Um, but then I was kind of confronted with the fact that I wasn't the strongest quantitative person <laughs> at that moment in time. So decided like, hey, why don't I take a look on Wall Street and see what happens in finance and was fortunate enough um, to do do a couple internships and ended up working in JP Morgan's public finance department. I started in 2006. What that group does is works with cities, states, municipalities to um, you know help help them finance their operations. And I, I started working with municipal utilities, doing long dated natural gas prepayments, um, and really helping um, help, helping utilities you know get the fuel they need to run their operations day to day. And I started working pretty closely with our commodities team. Moved, you know, saw what they were doing, thought that was pretty interesting, and you know moved moved over to that team. And actually spent eight years in J.P. Morgan Commodities, um, working with all, all sorts of energy companies, um, you know, ranging from oil and gas companies to renewable companies, and really understanding the ins and outs of the energy markets. And uh, about two years ago, this job opened up, and I found uh, found myself over here. And, and what exactly is this job? What what are you doing at J.P. Morgan right now? So right now, I head up what we call capital strategies, um, and really, it's a it's an initiative that was intended to integrate into our businesses, more sustainability products and coverage across our investment bank, our commercial bank, our wealth management, asset management teams, with the notion that you know it's it's great if, if someone sitting in corporate responsibility cares about environmental and social issues, but it's way better if people within the lines of business are thinking about ways to do it within their day jobs. That'll bring scale, you know, scale to that space. And I'd say, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to be able to do that at JP Morgan in, in part because of uh, the ability to move around the firm, which has been really neat. And having the background that I have, I think has brought a different perspective into this role than someone who's grown up in corporate responsibility. So coming at it from, from the business perspective, I think, is is, is a unique vantage point. You know, the, the other thing I'd add, too, is um, after you sit in one seat for a decade, you start wondering, like, 
hey, do I have any other, do I have any transferable skill sets here? Yeah. And so, you know, sitting, uh, sitting, working with our commodities team for a while was wonderful. Got to cover really interesting clients and work with great people. But it was actually an experience I had going outside of JP Morgan that, that prompted my interest to take, to move around. Um, we have um, something we call the uh, service corps, where we take people offline or take our, take our executives offline for three weeks partner with that, partner them with some of our, our nonprofit, nonprofit teams um, within you know, different areas, JP Morgan does business. And basically you, you work on a project that is a priority for a strategic priority for them for three weeks. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to spend three weeks on the ground in Detroit with a nonprofit called Michigan Community Resources. They provide legal and technical assistance to other nonprofits within the city. And we worked with them developing a, a marketing strategy to bring businesses to some of Detroit's hard, hardest hit neighbor, neighborhoods. And that for me was just such a wake up call. It was really for, for two reasons. You know, first, it was just a great reminder of, hey, you had this fire and belly zeal for yeah. all, you know, all things policy, um, really trying to make a difference. And then also it was a good reminder of, okay, maybe I do have some transferable skill sets, you know, after kind of pushing the metaphorical red Mm -hmm. button every day, all day for 10 years. And that was a great, um, great moment for me where I kind of raised my hand and said, hey, I want to take a look around the firm. Um, And so that that kind of led me to this role. And is this more about JP Morgan sustainability efforts? Or is this about uh, your role about servicing clients that you have about how they can how they can do better on a sustainability and ESG front, both emphatically and yeah. and so you know part part of what we do is try to try to wear two hats and and the first is look we're we're obviously a, a large firm and that's from our real estate holdings to our number of employees to the number of clients that we touch and you know when we think about the types of impact we can have we we think about that holistically. It's how do we how do we get our employee base excited? Mm-hmm. And whether you're an investment banker or a teller in a Chase branch, we all have something to contribute in this story. And making sure that we're giving people the the opportunity to do so one you know within their day job, what they what they bring home, how they think about the person they bring to work every day, right? Yeah. What do they have to add to this conversation? But it's also about bringing scale and you know different analytical rigor to the space. And when we think about the services that we offer for our clients, whether it's financing or risk management strategies, there's an environmental social governance overlay to all of those conversations. And denominating it for the client in a way that makes sense to them is, is a skill set I think that we can we can bring and you know add a different dimension to our client conversations. Yeah. So kind of on that on the sort of path of talking about um, JP Morgan's advising corporations on some of the ESG solutions. I think it'd be interesting to sort of look at that a little bit more. And I think also for our listeners defining what ESG is and kind of what that advising looks like. But kind of second to that, also the Trump administration had us pull out of the Paris Agreement about a year ago. But many large corporations, Facebook, Walmart, Microsoft, Google, and as well as JP Morgan still have incredibly ambitious uh, renewables goals. Um, Some of them, like JP Morgan, committing to 100%. So kind of what is the motivation behind that? Great question. And and really, I think what, what this question gets at is how do you make sustainability relevant for all you know, different different clients, whether it's high net worth individuals, corporations, or broader institutional investor clients? And, and that's precisely what we're trying to do. So when I think about what investors are interested in nowadays and whether 
that's because um, demographics are shifting, right? We're seeing um, an increasing proportion of investors who are younger, right? As we think about the, the millennial movement, mm-hmm. investors are increasingly female. Um, and when you think about those demographic shifts, that has implications for what investors care about. And we've been seeing within all our lines of business, increasing interest in environmental, social, and governance investing. So to, to your point, what, what does that actually mean? Mm-hmm. Well, the way, the way I think about it is it's defining scarcity in a different way for investors. So whether it's investors who are worried about the, the risks of the climate change could have on their, you know, for example, if you have a portfolio of mortgages in low-lying areas, well, climate change brings new risk to that when you think about rising sea levels. Absolutely. And then when you think about you know, the social implications of supply chain, right? When, when you think about who are the, the people who are contributing to the, um, the products that we are purchasing, ensuring that, that those people are safe, that there is no human slavery within that supply chain, it's not just the right thing to do. It also ensures the stability of the supply chain. And from a governance standpoint, I think this is probably the most well understood. You know, we want to you know invest in areas where we believe that our investment itself will be secure, that there's low levels of corruption and, and things like that. And so I look at ESG in some ways as a as a way to talk about moral issues within an investor-grounded context. And so for, for those investors, some of them are really focused on the moral imperative. Some of them are, are saying like, I don't want to invest in companies that, um, you know, I want to invest in tobacco companies. I don't want to invest in um, alcohol companies, right? And so they say, exclude those those companies from my portfolio. And that's, an, you know, it's fairly easy to do. What we're seeing an increasing interest in for some of our institutional investor clients is maybe I can use these variables as a way to generate outperformance alpha in my investment portfolio. And so our job is, has really been to work within our existing you know, lines of business and um, coverage areas to meet investors where they are and mm-hmm. explain these concepts to them in ways that, that resonate with them. Um, there's a gentleman who sits in London from our equity quant research team. And without going uber wonk on you, <laughs> he just published a paper that, that talks about how you do this. How do you, how do you flag what the most relevant variables are in a given sector for environmental, social governance, um, governance matters? And then how do you apply it in a way that could potentially generate outperformance? And this is a really different conversation than I think where, where this um, work kind of ESG investing has been historically. This is really about bringing the same level of analytical, analytical rigor to a quant investing strategy um, to, to an, an area that, that may not have, have had that before. Okay. And we're so excited to see kind of that evolution um, with that particular client base. And then we th- when we think about our, our corporate clients, it's it's a different dialogue for them. And, and it's, it's some balance of risk management mm-hmm. from our you know, reputational risk through to, you know, I, I want to make sure my supply chain is secure to identifying opportunities for them. And so for them, you know, greening their environmental footprint may not just be a marketing um, angle. It's, it's certainly not for JP Morgan. It's it's about long term price certainty. And if you're able to add renewable energy to the grids that you're purchasing power from, all the better. And then it's it's also, too, about aligning your businesses with the transition to a lower carbon economy. So we're, we're seeing this very much as, a, as an opportunity to be very strategic as we work with our clients to think about areas that they care about. And the best part about this is it's not limited to renewable energy companies. This is a conversation that all clients can participate in. 
And whether you are a consumer goods company or a paper and packaging company, all of these issues are touching some part of your business. And for us to have the opportunity um, and frankly, the, the privilege of having that conversation is, is a really cool place to be. That's great. Thank you. Um, do you do, does JP Morgan sort of feel a, a sort of competition with some of your other competitors and other firms in the same space to kind of be extra ambitious in this area? Absolutely, we do. And this is this is an area, frankly, where, where competition, like everybody wins because of this competition. Um, that we've started, we've all started calling it affectionately the sustainability arms race, which is <laughs> like who's got the biggest commitment, who's doing who's doing the most in the space, um, who's greening their footprint. And and look, I, I just tip of the hat to our competitors because we're all making each other better in the space, and we're all thinking of new products, new coverage models, and and new ways of making sustainability relevant to our client bases. So so I'd say you know our our sustainability commitments. Uh, we have uh, we've committed to facilitate two hundred billion of clean financing by twenty twenty five. And to purchase renewable energy to power 100% of the firm's needs by 2020. So with, without, you know, I'll, I'll still say tip of the hat to, the, to our competitors. Some have bigger numbers. Ours is the biggest average annual number, if anyone else cares about that. <laughs> but but like, we're, we're so excited to see that. And I think it's it's really cool that, that we've all jumped in um, to the deep end of the pool on this. I, I was going to, uh, along those lines, is it, you know, for for a number of years, there was a feeling there was it was a marketing and a headline capturing exercise as opposed to some underlying business rationale. So, are we at the point where it's now this is a necessary step for big institutions like J.P. Morgan Chase for their own future? There's a business rationale to to invest deeply in clean energy and 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 also ESG type stuff. I think this is expected expected of all of us from clients, shareholders, stakeholders. They they want to see us as leaders in you know, the, the private sector has a role to play here. We all we all recognize that, and if we can bring our voice to this conversation and the products that we're good at, we have the opportunity to really transform um, this market. And so I'd say for for these commitments, you know, certainly there's there's some element of like we we want to talk to the world about the initiatives that we're doing. This is a, an easy way for us to denominate what what can sometimes be difficult concepts to understand, and whether that's you know virtual power purchase agreement that doesn't exactly roll off the tongue <laughs> for a lot of people. And so this this is a way for our um, our bankers to go to market and talk about this coherent story. Where you know where it requires a lot of fragmented activity, um, the sustainability marketplace is huge, right? Mm-hmm. It's you know it's it's covering renewable energy companies. It's also covering, as I as I mentioned, like paper and packaging companies. How are you changing? Um, all, you know all those boxes that we're getting you know from Amazon Prime, right? They're they're working very very hard on you know ensuring that that those are streamlined, right? How are they being recycled? Mm-hmm. How are we building the facilities that enable the recycling of more materials? What are we doing about ocean plastics? And then through to, um, you know, what are we doing from a community development standpoint? All of these types of products have a role to play in this conversation. And so it's a neat way of, of aggregating all those activities into, you know, into one commitment. And JP Morgan be- taking a leadership role in many of the other bigger banks hopefully has a trickle-down effect on regional banks and other institutions because we talk to regional banks all the time and 
they still have been on the sidelines of lending to clean energy uh, projects and things like that. So uh, sort of mainstreaming it is similarly important for the influence that the big banks have on, on some of these more, the smaller players. Without a doubt. Yeah. So do, do you view there being a moral rationale for you guys to be given your name and, and some of the competitors to leading the way on this stuff? Yeah, and you, you've heard Jamie talk about this on, frankly, every investor call. We we have a role to play in ensuring that the communities that we operate are yeah. are strong. And it, it's it's not just good business. It's the right thing to do. Yeah. And sustainability is just one one part of that. What other product offerings are available to your clients in this space? Yeah, so so you know when we think about the broad coverage efforts, I think the the most common product that you hear is green bonds. Mm -hmm. Those are probably the ones that that jump off the page. Um, And maybe I'll I'll spend a little bit bit of time talking about those. so what, what I find most elegant about green bonds is their simplicity. And it's it's kind of funny when you when you talk to folks in you know traditional debt capital markets roles, they kind of they raise their eyebrows the first time they hear like so, mm-hmm. so what is a green bond? Like mm-hmm. I mean it's just a it's a bond, right? And so yeah. and so I, I laugh because I'm like, yes, but that's kind of the point. Right? So it is a bond that has specified use of proceeds, um, that it will be used for a green purpose. And most issuers issue a green bond in accordance with the green bond principles. Um, and here I'll, I'll give a shout out to my colleague, Marilyn Cece, who was one of the co-authors of the Green Mom Principles and, um, you know, cur- currently sits on, on the advisory council. And so that, I think, is, is an underappreciated concept, right? Where when, you're, when you develop a new product, having standardized market practices and kind of agreed upon principles, it's really important. And that's where I think a JP Morgan can, can really be helpful as we think about developing this market. And you know why I say it's it's elegant because it's simple. Um, it's because investors know what they're buying. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, this enables an investor universe to have an easy way to purchase a security that is already baked in that it is green and it is used for a green purpose. And you know I mentioned before, investors really care about these issues, right? And they're looking for they're looking for ways to kind of put their money where their mouth is. What's tough is if you if you don't have a way to easily flag what counts as sustainable, mm-hmm. and this is a this is an issue where you've got an understood a well understood product, and you have, for lack of a better way of describing it, a hashtag. You've got a sustainability hashtag built into the product, <laughs> and and that I think is is unique because it is simple. Mm-hmm. There's a I, I think a tendency in this market to pursue innovative forms of finance because we're doing something new, right? You're you're really focusing on baking in environmental and social issues into an investment investment decision making process. So I think there's a bias to think, well, I should be really innovative in the way I look at this. But in point of fact, that might be a bridge too far for some investors. So again, if we can meet people where they are and bring them along on the journey, well, that's how you bring scale to this space. Absolutely. So practically speaking, a green, a green bond is is nothing more than a normal debt instrument that is comparable to some other infrastructure debt. And but it takes this added step of going to like climate bonds initiative or one of these other um, platforms that validate its ESG or environmental backing and it gets the stamp of approval effectively. Is that, 
basically what it is for our listeners. Exactly. So, so ultimately it can be, it's a debt instrument for really any particular use of proceeds, whether it's infrastructure or whether it's, I'm going to, um, you know, use this to finance a recycling initiative at my mm-hmm. company. So the, because it can be used for such a broad use, but within those use of proceeds, you're making a pledge and you're mm-hmm. saying that I am going to use this for a purpose that has been approved by the green bond principles. And so, you know, that, that ultimately means that the bonds that are issued, if they're done in accordance with these, um, you know, accepted principles, you know, kind of gets that, gets that hashtag. Mm-hmm. And then you have an emerging group of folks who are, um, you know, emerging as raters, um, or, or really, uh, they call it second party opinion providers, um, who are saying that, yes, I've reviewed their description of the use of proceeds. This is in accordance with the green loan principles. Um, and then issuers are also agreeing to report on how the money is being spent. Mm-hmm. And that also helps investors who are really looking for more disclosure around um, you know, companies' green policies and broader sustainability strategies. And that's just, it's helpful because it's, it's more information and it's presented in a way that's digestible for them. And one of the big challenges for clean energy, we still feel like clean capital to this day, is getting institutional investors to put money into it. There is a desire out there, at least an increasing desire we see from institutional investors to play in the space, but they don't really know much about it. Is green bonds really just a, a way to kind of hold hold people's hands into clean energy investing to get them started? It is. It's such a great analogy. I, I like also usually it's a it's a gateway drug yeah. <laughs> into, into clean energy. You know, it's we've used that analogy before. <laughs> so it's funny to hear it some, from someone else. It's but it, it really is great, right? Because it's you're you're holding their hand to to use your metaphor um, as as they're learning what what could be for them a new sector. So at least you're not you're not putting them in a, a space where they have to learn a new sector and a new mm-hmm. and a new product type. So here it's a very traditional product and it makes it a lot easier for them to represent as I think about our, our asset manager clients. Well, they're getting you know, a lot of you know, demand from their asset owner clients. We're saying, hey, I, I want to put money into green things. This is a really easy way for them to do it in a way that allows them to demonstrate that their money is making an impact. And the fact that issuers are, are reporting on, on the impact of, of these, uh, these projects means that investors are really able to see what what that impact of their dollar is having. Why would why do issuers what's in it for issuers? Great question. Um, so we generally see you know a couple different motivations for for corporate clients. One is to communicate their sustainability strategy in a in a very analytical or very technical way. Mm-hmm. And so we've seen some of our corporate clients um, issue green bonds to talk about the projects that they are they're, that they're financing through that green bond. Um, and I think Apple is a great example of that. Others are looking for, you know, they're looking at this marketplace and they're seeing this evolving investor type, this sustainable investor, ESG investor. And they're like, hmm, they're not buying my traditional bonds. I wonder why that is. And so by, by you know, looking at a green bond, this may be a new way of reaching this evolving investor base. And it's it's also, I think, causing causing corporates to think about, okay, well, what else can I be doing to reach this new you know, ESG investor? What are they looking for, um, and how do I bring best ESG practices into my my operations? 
Do you have a sense of, um, do you have any stats on how big this market is right now, where it's going, where it's been and where it's going for the next five years or so? Great question. I mean, the, the growth of this market is the real story. Yeah. Um, the market is still quite small, to be perfectly frank. Sure. Um, we just topped 300 billion at the end of 2017. But to talk about you know, the aggregate issuance in 2017 versus 2013, which is when we really saw some, some incredible pickup. 2013 total issuance size was 11.5 billion. Mm. So last year, total issuance was 115 billion. Yeah, that's literally a tenfold increase. And I think you know year to date we're probably at about 48 billion. Mm-hmm. So so look, it's it's still small, but the growth is is really impressive. Is it gonna is this gonna be the pathway for big financings and clean energy, or is this just gonna be a supplemental vehicle to raise debt? It's a great question, and I think it really gets to, you know, is this um, is this a way for non-pure play green finance corporates to, to to position their sustainability strategies, or does it get bigger? You know, we've seen some some kind of clean energy companies not issue a green bond because they're like, come on, guys, you know right. I'm green. <laughs> so, so I think this is a good way for diversified companies to, it's, it's an interesting strategy for them to, to communicate, you know, some of the projects that they're working on. Again, the fact that it is such a standard product makes it really appealing to investors. And I I think the demand story tells itself. And so as we as investors are really looking for greater diversification across issuer types, Mm -hmm. sovereigns, corporates, you name it, geography, because they're still they still have to abide by their their, traditional risk management practices. You can only buy so much country level debt, um, for example. Um, and so I, I think there's there's going to be continued growth, particularly as you know we're, we're really encouraged by the demand story. Let's uh, with the last couple of minutes, let's go back to what some of what JP Morgan's doing in terms of its own targets. How, you guys have this big target of uh, I think by 2020 or 2021, 100 percent renewables. Yeah, by 2020. Yeah. TikTok, TikTok. <laughs> and how are you guys doing on that? Well, I mean, I'm. It's it's a big goal. I'll be honest. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd be lying if I said I weren't a little bit uncomfortable. But that was, <laughs> that was kind of kind of the point of our goal. We wanted to do something that really stretched ourselves. And our, I have to say, our, our real estate team has has been pounding the pavement trying to, to to get these done. And it's really their their inspiration that that we've been following. They did a a virtual PPA, a power purchase agreement with a wind farm called the Buckthorn Wind Project mm. in Texas. And basically they partnered with our commodities team. And this is where I think some of the you know, innovative financial structuring can be really helpful. So basically they, they said, hey, I've got demand for about 50% of this 100 megawatt wind farm. So what happens to the other 50%? And our commodities team was like, hey, we got that. We'll purchase the rest of it. And then with the idea of, you know, we'll, we'll sell this to some of our corporate clients who are interested in greening their renewable footprint. And so um, we did that in November of 2016. And what's what's neat about that is, you know, it's covering 75% of our Texas power consumption. And because of our participation, um, we were able to help, um, you know, a new wind project on a grid that we purchased power from um, come to life. And that's that's what we were really excited about. It's like I said before, it's it's using our our financial product expertise, market expertise, married with our 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 size, right? I mean, we're, we're big corporate. We've got operations in 60 countries, cover 75 million square feet of buildings. Hmm. And when, when you stitch those two things together, um, you know, we can, we can really have an impact in bringing new renewable projects to the grid. 
are you focused mostly on wind or are you technology agnostic with other sort of solar hydro others? You know, we, we are, we're actually looking at um, putting um, solar installations on some of our branches mm-hmm. throughout the U.S., which has been really cool to see. So we've got a little vertical integration going on. So we're piloting that at about 23 branches throughout the country, um, starting with California and New Jersey. And then we're also looking at um, installing solar arrays at some of our commercial our commercial buildings too in, in Ohio and Plano um, and Arizona. And then we're also testing kind of fuel cell technology at our Metro Tech Center in Brooklyn. Uh, so there's a lot of activity, and frankly, we see the, the different types of technology as a, pre- a cr- pretty critical path mm-hmm. to managing this transition to a lower carbon economy. We're also looking at energy efficiency measures. We partnered with you know, Current Power by GE, purchased 1.4 million LED light bulbs <laughs> that we wow. are currently in the process of installing um, at branches and commercial centers across the country. For those of you wondering, it does take 600 J.P. Morgan employees to install 1.4 <laughs> million light bulbs. <laughs> You've been waiting for that like, job. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I there it is. What are some of the other barriers you, you might see towards um, other smaller companies kind of doing similar efforts as Jason Morgan? Such a great question. And on, on energy efficiency in particular, I think this is a pretty, it's, it's a pretty known problem, right? You have, it's, it's a lot of fragmented activity. It's smaller capital expenditures. And then sometimes you don't have alignment in terms of who's going to spend the CapEx versus who would reap the benefits from that. Yeah. So, um, you know, that, that's something I think that, that we're, confronting, we're confronting as well. And you know, like I mentioned, our, our commodities team is managing some of the risk associated with what, the power that we've purchased, right? And the idea is if we can help aggregate demand for that, then we can sell to companies who may not themselves have enough demand to purchase um, utility scale, um, whether it's solar or wind. And so that's where uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, as, as a large diversified financial institution, can use some of that scale to help, um, you know, help smaller companies participate in this transition. When do you think we're go- we're going to get to the point where banks and investors are actually divesting from fossil fuels as opposed to all these wonderful sustainability efforts that a lot are embracing now? But I think the next iteration is when is money going to actually come out of fossil fuels? It's it's a great question, and, and frankly, when we get we get pretty frequently. You know, first I'd say we're we're in a period of extreme transition as we think about how energy is produced consumed, delivered throughout the U.S. Um, and so we're, we're really moving from an extremely heavily fossil fuel intensive economy through, uh, through to one that is, you know, relying less on carbon. Yeah. But to, I don't want to understate how, how great of a transition that is. I mean, today, fossil fuels are supplying the majority of the world's energy usage, literally 85% as mm-hmm. of 2016. That's a huge number. Um, and so... I think we all have a tendency to focus on renewable power, right? That's such a great story. Um, we've seen an incredible growth in installed capacity globally, right? You hear about um, you know solar farms throughout Germany, um, wind, wind installing wind through various geographies in the U.S. is actually at parity with mm-hmm. not gas fired generation, yeah. and those are great stories. The problem is we don't talk a lot about some of the fossil fuel intensive industries that are not as easy to electrify or shift to renewables mm-hmm. like the transportation sector mm-hmm. sure and so um on, a, on you know just from a you and i driving around like electric cars um, we're seeing that as an evolving technology that's that's getting increased penetration but but what we 
don't hear a lot about is road freight. Like how do you how do you actually shift the technology that's required? And that's that's I think the question that the market really needs to focus on. How do we how do we get to a point where the technology that needs to exist to diversify away from fossils, fossil fuels uh, is a reality? And it's not just a question of not financing fossil fuels. It's a question of increasing uh, jobs and work, workforce training in STEM fields. Mm. It's, you know, for, for those who lost their jobs in the oil downturn, it's retraining them to work on you know, solar panel installations. And it's ranging, you know, it's, it's everything from, you know, getting more women into STEM fields. And that, that really gets to a much bigger shift in technology. And that's where I'm, I'm happy to say that I think JP Morgan does a, does a great job thinking up holistically what do communities need to prepare people for the jobs that will exist in the future. And whether that's from a you know, community development stamp, standpoint to a workforce standpoint, um, ensuring that small businesses like those who are focused on the technologies that we're going to need uh, to transition away from fossil fuels that they're getting the capital that they need. And so, you know, a, a decarbonized economy is what we're all working toward. It's not going to happen overnight. And we're talking about a decades-long shift. Mm-hmm. And so we want to make sure that we're participating in the financings that need to happen to make sure the technology that needs to be there gets the money that it needs. And that's really what we're tackling with this $200 billion clean financing commitment. It's, it's ensuring that the technology that has to exist, and whether that's battery storage, whether that's fuel cells, and or frankly, technologies that don't yet exist, that we are, we're prepared for the types of technology that needs to exist to be more reliant on uh, renewable technology. So then okay. look, looking forward to the you know 10 years from now, what does it look like? What's JP Morgan doing in clean energy? Is it you know a lion's share of the infrastructure portfolio? Maybe you could forecast for our listeners where you think uh, we're headed. Forgive me. Well, I'll take out my crystal ball. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, look, I I think you hit the nail on the head. I think as we think about what our business starts, look, our our businesses are going to reflect that shift to a lower carbon economy. And it's not just infrastructure, right? It's it's the technology that, that is yet to exist. It's different types of fuels for, you know, long haul trucking. You know, which again, it's it's not something that we think about as mm-hmm. as kind of necessary as we shift shift away. It's it's not just renewable power. It's um, you know ensuring that we have um, you know different types of uh, of fuels for you know jet fuel. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No one today is going to raise their hand to uh, you know, fly on a biofuel powered <laughs> plane, right? So yeah. that's the type of um, you know technology that that we're we're excited about. And you know we expect to see as as this shift happens. That's great. So, any any particular points as we wrap up that you want to communicate to our investor, our listeners, excuse me, from J.P. Morgan or or anything, any nuggets that you have to share with them? Yeah, I'd I'd say you know for those for those interested in the sustainability space, we we need more science focused, um, just science focused folks. Frankly, we, yeah. we need we need people who are developing the technology that's going to need to occur. We're looking, you know, candidly, JP Morgan's not necessarily going to be the innovation behind the clean tech revolution. We're, we're going to innovate around financial products and offerings, and we're looking for that, te- that technology yeah. to finance. Yeah. And we're evolving our business to make sure that we're ready for it. And so, you know, for, from our standpoint, that that's what gets us excited. And that's what, you know, prompted our, our commitment to clean finance. And as we, as we see, 
you know, new companies emerge who are who are really looking at these problems and seeing like ah, un- until and unless we have a technology that addresses, um, you know, whether that's public transportation, which is pretty fossil intensive, and that as we see shifts into electric vehicles, those are the types of things that get us really excited and um, you know get us excited about our role in this conversation. And on that note, we'll wrap up. Aaron, thank you for joining Clean Capital's Experts Only podcast. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you, guys. It's fun. Awesome. Thank you, Aaron, for a wonderful conversation. And thank you to Lauren Glickman and Emily Connor, our producers. You can find out more information on Clean Capital at cleancapital.com. If there are topics you'd like to hear about, let us know there. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Clean Capital's Experts Only podcast. Thanks for listening in today's conversation. Find more episodes on cleancapital.com, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. We look forward to continuing our conversation on energy, innovation, and finance with you.